As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Dugan. On the show today, what does all three media have in common with the Daily Telegraph? While both may soon be in the hands of Jeff Zucker in billion-dollar buyouts. Meanwhile, it feels like Samir Shah is already BBC chair as he weighs into the latest Lineker controversy. Also on the programme, what kind of paywall is Mail Online building? And why is Future Publishing investing in critics and reviews? All that plus in the Media Quiz, we play the only possible game we could with those Netflix stats. That's all to come in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, ChatGPT has bagged a deal to summarise Politico and Business Insider articles. Publisher Axel Springer called the deal with OpenAI the first of its kind. Uh, Nigel Farage has returned from the jungle with a message for Kevin Ligo, who joked about the I'm a Celeb star a few weeks ago. If you want to go to war with me, Farage said uh, on his GB News show, it won't be very good for ITV's share price. Uh, The ITV boss has yet to comment. And the producers of The One Show had a scare on Wednesday evening when guests Stephen Fry and Sheridan Smith ended up stuck in a lift at New Broadcasting House. A warning for live broadcasters everywhere, maybe take the stairs. Now, joining me at the London Podcast Studios, we welcome back Faraz Osman. Hello, Faraz. Hello, mate. How are you? Merry Christmas. I mean, I'd say Merry Christmas. Absolutely. It's December. We can say Merry Christmas. It is. This is the Christmas episode. Amazing. Oh, look, it's all the tinsel's out, isn't it? Um, so media's closing down this week because it is Christmas. <laughs> Media um, closed down at the beginning of the year. It doesn't ever open up again. Uh, is there it? any last minute rush or are we really in the dog days of 2023? Well, I mean, this time of year is always a little bit quieter, mm. generally. It's a bleak time across the industry. You know, all joking aside... There's a lot of people, particularly in television, um, who have uh, struggled this year and continue to struggle. And I think that there's not a... It would be nice if there was a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Not quite seeing that yet. So everyone's remaining hopeful and optimistic for 2024. Um, but it is it is, op- it is blind optimism at the moment. Um, 
So we just got a bit of a do, a bit more of a wait and see. Um, and Hoping ha- those green shoots appear in Jan. Yeah, wh- whatever they're called. Some green lights is what I would like. Forget the green shoots. Come on, commissioners. Nice. Give us some green lights. Like that. And next for us, or rather sort of next to him via the internet, it's broadcast consultant Brett Spencer. Hello, Brett. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Very impressed with the level I- of decoration in the studio there. Fantastic. It's super Christmassy, isn't it? That All of you can watch on the YouTube version of this. If you didn't know, you can watch this all on YouTube. Um, Brett, you're closely involved in City University's uh, podcast course i guess you've had the first batch who are breaking for christmas soon how have they all been they're fantastic we've an enormously engaged set of students and you're about to see their first podcast uh, coming out and uh, <laughs> and we're interviewing people for next year already on the course and it's uh, it's going better than we possibly could have hoped well, that's good that sounds almost too positive is there anything you've, you've well, learned i'm trying from to it bring the positive because for us was just bringing the bleak <laughs> to be honest so i'm just <laughs> trying it. to be mr Bahumbug. point yeah <laughs> Good, good. Well, someone that's delivered us all an early Christmas present is Netflix, uh, with the biggest release of viewer data, which dropped somewhat unexpectedly uh, on Wednesday afternoon. Um, For as they've been always a little bit quiet about how their shows are doing, obviously uh, post-settlement with some of the uh, unions in America, this seems the first bit of info that's come out. What what have they released? Well, so they've they've given viewing data in hours viewed if i understand mm. it correctly um of the well of all of their top shows i think there's a i don't know an exact number i think it's like eighteen thousand hours anything above that they're saying that this is this is kind of the hours viewed and uh and it's netflix is really interesting when it starts releasing data because it's it shows that you've never heard of that seem to be topping the charts and you're a bit like i got a minute what's going on here i think that when you think of netflix you think of Stranger Things and The Crown and obviously at the moment Squid Game, The mm. Challenge, etc. Um, but actually when you look at the numbers and data they've released, it doesn't seem to be the those shows that get the most heaviest promotion that necessarily are getting the most uh, hours viewed. However, I will say this, there's a little bit of controversy around, well, I don't know if controversy is the right word, but there's a little bit of like, what does hours viewed mean? Mm. Because, you know, if you start drilling down into it, well, if you've got a show that has had 15 seasons and is very bingeable, then obviously that's going to have a lot of hours viewed. If you have a, I don't know, a Christmas animation, for yes. instance, that's half an hour long, that's not obviously not going to have the same amount of hours viewed. I wonder if they're going to release more types of data. Like, for instance, how many times something has been rewatched. You know, if you've got kids like I do in my family, Paw Patrol has been rewatched a billion times over. Is that going to be the same hours viewed? You know, that show is five minutes long. So, you know, is that is, is that going to have the same hours viewed? But it's had the same... In number of impressions if that makes yes. sense so it's there's it's all it's viewing figures are always a bit weird there's kind of share and there's reach and there's numbers and there's households and and now there's hours viewed um, on top of this and no one can really decide on what is an accurate measurement mm. of uh, of success as it were i will say all of this seems to be linked i think to the fact that they've now got an ad tier so mm. because once they had an ad tier they obviously need to start releasing data to demonstrate this is how many views you're getting and therefore your your kind of CPMs and, you know, the, 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 the amount of impressions you're getting on your data. That needs to be linked to advertising, which is why they've started doing this. Uh, Brett, have you seen The Night Agent? I have. I've watched The Night Agent and I've read the book for a bonus point. <laughs> um, and it's an excellent book by Matthew Quirk. And I think one of the reasons for the success of The Night Agent is it appeals to that sort of mainstream audience. So the audience that would watch NCIS and Law and Order and that sort mm. of thing. It's very much, and the, the, not the book wasn't, but the series is very much in the mould of 24 in the way they've sort of 
uh, set it up to be a, uh, an ongoing series. And I think that mainstream audience isn't necessarily that well catered for on streaming services. So we're very much about limited series and prestige projects. Uh, and I think that's what the night agent has tapped into, that sort of mainstream network TV audience who, is not, who are not necessarily being flooded with, with new content on streaming services. And that's what's led to that success. And it's made by Sean Ryan, who made The Shield, and he knows how to make a long-running, successful mainstream TV show. It is a brilliantly, slightly schlocky um, uh, crime mystery show. Anything else on there, Brett, that surprised you or things that you thought, oh, well, actually, I think I should, the, I I think the interesting it. thing is that, you know, Netflix at the moment are in the box seat in terms of movies. They've got this month, they've got coming out May, December, which is the Julianne Moore, um, Todd Haynes directed movie, as well as Maestro with Brad, Bradley Cooper as Leonard Bernstein. Um, they've also got the new Julia Roberts film, which is also based on a, a great book. And those films are all going to be in the Oscar race, and they're the things they're making a fuss over. But what they're not really releasing is uh, Leave the World Behind, is the Julia Roberts movie. Couldn't think of the title there. Uh, but they're not making a fuss about the data around the movies at the moment, because as Faraz just said, the numbers, because it's hours viewed, tend to skew to long-running series. So it'd be really interesting to get some data behind these movies. They seem to be using the movies to get kudos and Oscar bait rather than to uh, promote the service or say how many people are watching them. But the filmmakers are going to want to know how many people are watching their movies in order for them to want to continue to make these prestige movies for Netflix. Uh, Fraz, what have been your TV picks of the year? Um, Beef's on here, and Beef is brilliant. If you haven't seen it, it is it is really really worth watching. Um, I have just finished Squid Game: The Challenge, and there's lots of professional jealousy that it is a brilliant brilliant show. Mm. As as I think is the case with a lot of, in particular, Netflix shows, it's too long. Well, I can, can I make it a, a Squid Game: The Challenge challenge? Okay, go on. So, hang on, I, are you going to shoot me in the face? Uh, that's what happens. Uh, it'll just be a squib. So okay, fine, okay. Right, okay. Um, so I've watched most of it, and it looks great, and it's been made really well. I also watched Mr. Beast's Squid yep. Game quiz version. I don't think that his version was that different to the one which we are on Probably. the telly. Probably. I mean, look, it's, it's brand recognition. That's a lot of, yeah. lot of it. What, what I think is really inspired by what they did with that is that they got the garden involved. It's, it was mm. co producing the garden and Studio Lambert. Studio Lambert are brilliant at making entertainment shows. The garden are brilliant at making uh, emotional shows. So they really did lean into kind of telling the stories of the individuals. When I watch Mr. Beast content, it's it's about Mr. Beast. It's quick. It's, and it was quick. Yeah. Mm. It's not about the people that are playing those There's games. no time for backstory. There's none of that. There's none of that. Whereas mm. this has got some really interesting characters and they, you know they've got a mother and a daughter in there and they've got lots of people that have mm. got you know they set up villains and then they try and have redemption arcs for those people there's a lot there's a lot of that going on it's very very well made particularly for a first season and, and it's been recommissioned for a second yes yes i think that like and 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 i think it's important to note i'm gonna say this i'm gonna fly the flag it's made by british producers because we are the best in the world at making factual content in particular and we continue to be the best in the world at making factual content so i hope everybody's watching that because um, come, uh, come use us more. Exactly, and come use us more. But again, the reason for it is oh God, I'm going to get my soapbox now. But the reason for it is because of the the mixed ecology of our PSBs and mm. our commercial channels that are able to take risks and able to kind of look at telling stories in a way that's not just clickbaity and and Moorish, you know, we are got a bit more depth in, in particularly in the factual content we're making. Uh, Brett, any TV picks of the year? Yeah, I mean, my two favourite dramas were both dramas that sort of reinvented genres. Just when you thought you couldn't do anything new in the cop genre space or the medical genre space, I thought Blue Lights on, on BBC was was incredible. Uh, it looked on the face of it to be a sort of humdrum series about policing in, in Northern Ireland, and it was so much more than that. I'd recommend that to anybody. And uh, I'm not someone that binges stuff, really. We, we watch stuff quite slowly, and uh, we watch 
the whole of that series in two nights. And the other show, which I think we invented, the medical genre, which has just been renewed for a second series, was Malpractice on ITV, uh, which is not getting any love in the critics' end-of-year list. I think there's a bit of a snobbishness because it was an ITV drama, perhaps. Uh, and that's got an absolute nerve-shredding performance by, by Neve Algar, and I'd recommend that as well. It was fantastic. Uh, Well, speaking of TV and moving on to all three media, um, it looks like Jeff Zucker, who we've been talking about quite a lot, uh, he's been doing that Telegraph deal. Um, It looks like he is uh, running the rule over uh, Super Indie All Three Media. This is his investment firm, Redbird. Uh, For us, another billion quid on the table from uh, Abu Dhabi investors mainly. The Arabs are coming. Uh, (laughs) They'd get quite a lot if they've got All Three Media. There's quite a lot of hits. What hits are in there for our audience at home? Well, all three media, like I think, I think I might have mentioned the traces already. That's kind of part of their stable. Gogglebox is, I mean, these these are I'm already mentioned Studio Lambert shows mm. because you know I work in factual television, and uh, and and they do they do a lot of that. Squid Game Challenge is also mm. made by Studio Lambert, so all of those those shows have done really really well. Um, and you know they do kind of more schlocky stuff like Midsummer Murders. You know they've got an incredible, they've got a very very strong slate of current stuff but they've also got a brilliant back catalogue as well so you know Darren Brown is part of that Peep Show is part of it and all of those things obviously do very very well on inventory services like Netflix and you know we kind of skimmed over this but actually Ted Serrano kind of said that legacy programming you know what they mm. call acquisitions or um, uh, inventory programming is still makes up at least half of everything that's on Netflix it's not just about the new commissions and, and so so people that own these back catalogues can still continue to make a little bit of wedge out of them so it's a uh, it's 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 a billion. It's a billion pounds. Mm. It's pounds, isn't yes. it? It's a billion yes. pounds. ITV said no to it, kind of earlier this year or late last year. Yeah, so um, I was reading a bit of uh, stuff about that, and they weren't sure whether to get that through their investors, yeah. even though they would be buying it sort of off one of their investors because mm-hmm. John Malone has a chunk of ITV and he has a chunk of all three. Um, mistake for ITV not to add it to ITV Studios. I, I think it's. I, I think that what's interesting is is. You know, I kind of made a joke about the Arabs are coming, but but the 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 amount of investment that Saudi and Abu Dhabi and Qatar are kind of building into Western media properties. You know, they now own, I believe, they own WWE. Um, Live mm. Golf is is kind of taken mm. over to PGA Tour, and uh, and and they're kind of investing heavily into football. They've just won Saudi Arabia just won the rights to the World Cup um, uh, in in two cycles time. I think in twenty twenty eight or thirty two or something like that, um, which was always going to be the way that that's that's coming. And and they are also making noises about doing a big acquisition into a video games publisher as well. So you know the idea that all three media, Formula One, WWE, football golf and and maybe something like nintendo i mean i'm, I'm just that's yes. pure speculation yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're, they're all owned that by scale. one region mm. that is you know that suddenly makes them a, a huge huge player and i think that they are interested in making big moves and this would be a very big move whether i think it's a mistake for itv not to pick it up i i don't know the answer to that it's, it's a, a bit above it's very above my pay grade uh, Brett, for as is you're the sort of the resident expert on this i mean clearly football fans and golf fans are really uncomfortable with the amount of money from the area that's coming into those sports should the audience care about this what about who owns the media about who owns an indie like all three media that, should the audience uh, care um, about that i think look there have been some question marks so there was a um an issue. Well, there's there's two things that have happened. One is the problem with John Stewart, which is an Apple TV show. So that's that's China. Mm. He sort of said that the reason it's kind of on the way out Correct. is that Apple weren't happy them going too hard on China, which C- is a key partner for Apple. Correct. And uh, and and for Netflix, it was Patriot Act with um, Hassan Manhaj, 
Minhaj, um, where they had to cancel that. Well, I don't know if they had to cancel it, but they they censored some shows mm. that had criticism, I believe, about Saudi Arabia in particular. It, it does create a, a, a tension in the editorial um, because there are lots of question marks, and the Qatar World Cup was was part of that, and I'm sure the Saudi World Cup will have similar question marks. That that does kind of play part of it. It will be interesting, and some of that is ch- is can be chilling. Just assumptions that correct. producers make, not even that they've been instructed by someone to do Co- something. Correct. Now, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I wish I could sit here and tell you the whole slate of what's on all three media, but I think if you look at what we have in the UK. When you look at things like, you know, Mawan's show with Juiced and Drag Race and I Kissed a Boy mm. and, you know, you look at shows that are kind of have, you know, I'm, t- I'm talking about a lot of LGBT shows. Are those shows at risk if it's suddenly owned by a country that or or a, an area, a region that is more conservative when it comes to mm. LGBT rights, to say the least? There, there may be concerns around that. I would argue that it would be interesting to see if that kind of pushes the, the culture forward. Because once you get into those spaces around music and sports and, uh, and in this instance, television and factual television and dramas, etc., you are going to have to kind of be a bit more liberal in your views because you're playing to a much international, you know, wider audience. I don't believe that WWE has stopped having women wrestlers. In sure, it, but instance. I sometimes think that's the hope, whether it, it, it really yeah. it really pushes through. Um, Brett, would you spend a billion quid on all three media? I haven't got a billion quid to spend on on, <laughs> on, on on all three media. But my question about the audience was relevant because I just wondered what it, what difference it would make on screen. I mean, you can see what difference it's making in football in that suddenly a lot of footballers are going off to play in the region. It's obviously had a big impact on what viewers see uh, in terms of golf because you're now not getting all the top golfers playing together. So I am interested to... to you, you are now, though, because now PGA is gone. That has reversed now. So Live Golf has everybody now because PGA, mm. the PGA Tour doesn't mm. exist anymore. And I would argue for footballers, we've... I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge football fan, but I have kind of anecdotally seen people going, amazing, Arab money is coming in and then Newcastle might win the league now. So suddenly there is a bit of a bit like, well, the money's a good thing because we need more investment into this space. So, You're thinking purely on a drama basis. Yeah. 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 I mean, I said the threat to football is different because they're, they're, they're attempt to drain off the best players, if that makes sense, to go and play in leagues over there. So that, that's what the concern is among football fans. But but whether it makes whether this makes a difference to what the audience sees on screen and, and programmes is open to question. But as far as says, there's an issue, that, a content issue there over what they might might be inclined to make. Well, speaking of football, um, uh, it's kind of been a story of the year, but Gary Lineker's social media (laughs) feed uh, is back in the news. Uh, This is after the incoming BBC chair took issue with a tweet Lineker posted about a member of parliament. Um, Faraz, what did he tweet? Well, he wasn't about football, that's for sure. Yeah. He wasn't speaking about football, which I think is what caused the controversy. So, yeah, so he was sort of responding to to Jonathan Gullis MP, wasn't he? Yeah, so my understanding of what there's there's one tweet about Grant Shapps, and then there was one about Jonathan Gullis. And Jonathan Gullis' tweet, he said something about, I think he did his assistant write, you know, read the, the briefing notes for him. And then with Grant Shapps, he made a joke about the fact that Grant Shapps seems to have a million and one and like different names depending yes. on what day of the week it is. I think that, and so the new BBC impartiality guidelines are, are fairly clear about this, that you can't criticise an MP. Um, and, and, and he is, I mean, let's be honest, like, Jerry Lineker's making jokes about sitting MPs. Mm. It's, it's pretty cut and shut when he, when he looks at that. I would argue that it's a bit silly if we're starting to kind of reprimand 
Lineker for making well, some jokes I, about about I, MPs. I, I, I mean, and, if you're Gary Lineker, constant tweet problems. They've invented the entire guidelines for Gary Lineker. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's, and he's re- taking a mick. He's, he's taking a mick well, of the guidelines, and he's taking a mick out of, of yeah. Sorry and MP. also, he's saying that Jonathan Guys hasn't read the new guidelines. Well, I'm not sure that Gary's read the new guidelines yeah. if he if he's doing this. And there's a bit of me that's like the new chair. He's not, of, he's not a chair yet. The, the, the potential new the chair. New chair. Um, got into quite a lot of it, I thought, where he should have come up with a bit of a, well, on the, on the face of it, but I want to talk to the team if I become the chair. Uh, because in effect, he's set up that he's sort of got to get rid of Gary when he when he rocks up and, I don't know, and broadcasts I don't know. I think I think that, that might be reading too much into it. I think the problem into this is that people are reading too much into all of this stuff. Number one, no one cares about what people write on, on, on well, Twitter or X or anything. Like MPC writes becomes, about them. And until it gets into the press, right? So it, it's almost like a weird thing where where Twitter X, whatever the mm. you want to call it, is almost turned into some sort of like a newswire. So no one reads the newswires, but they read what the newspapers say about it. So that's kind of what's happening here, where everyone is looking to make a media story out of something that's not there. It's a little bit... I mean, it's like, come on, Gary, what, you know... Some of the jokes are quite good. It's quite a good joke that he made about Grant Shapps, which is kind of like... And the irresistible nature of Twitter is that when you have a good joke, you just want to put it out there because it's quite a good joke. And generally, it disappears the day after. In Gary's instance, that's absolutely not the case because of all of the hype around him and and the press wanting to kind of see him like... Well, they want to get him. They want to get him. And I sort of feel like my view is that Gary knows he's got all this pressure on him. He is responsible for crap things that happens to the BBC because he likes to make a joke on Twitter. Correct. And I wish sometimes you'd have a bit more respect for the organisation and basically all the other staff who work at the organisation because he constantly causes them troubles. Yeah. Um, and all he does is present a show about football once a week. Yeah, I think I think that that's... I think that's... For, for a lot of money. I think that's broadly true, but I also think that as politicians, if you can't take a joke from a football pundit, like, what are you doing in politics? I think writing social media guidelines is really hard. I mean, I I certainly contributed (laughs) to the writing of social media guidelines when I was at the BBC, which was sort of written by committee. And when I got to bow, I wrote the social media guidelines for staff because there weren't any. And actually writing them are really difficult to apply to everybody across the board. And then actually applying them in practice is incredibly difficult. And I'm not sure everybody appreciates that. And on Wednesday night at City University, we had Dorothy Burns um, delivering the James Cameron Memorial Lecture. And uh, she's the former head of news and current affairs at Channel 4. And she was saying something similar to what you were just saying, which is that, you know, there's an audience now, particularly a younger audience, that are relying on social media for news. And there are many now that believe in my truth rather than an objective truth, she was saying. And what she was calling for is she was saying that ministers should make tackling misinformation on social media their priority rather than using it to attack public service broadcasters. Sorry, in addition to that, although I don't know why I'm putting anything in addition to Dorothy Byrne, anything she says is, is doesn't require any addition, but here I am. Like, th- th- it's the politicians themselves that do these jokes, right? It's, you know, you look at the Tory, the, the Tory party uh, vice chairman, it's like, and you've, you, you've seen it with the Dean Doris, it's like, you know, and, if you, and that's just in the UK, in America it's even more insane. Well, they're performers, well, they're, in exactly. they're performers, and, they, and they like the limelight, yeah. and that thing in their pocket. I'm talking about their phone means that they can <laughs> they can get get those gags yes, in front so, of people. So that's and and that that creates a bit of a weird imbalance because if we're saying that politicians can do this, but if you just because you work for the BBC you can't do this. Well, I would argue if you're an MP you need to 
wind your neck in. Like, you know, that's kind of the, one of the responsibilities of being an MP. If you don't want to do that as an MP, then I don't know if you have a huge amount of criticism or, or, or space to kind of criticise other people doing it as well. It's, it's got to be a two-way street. I thought it's interesting in America, just, just picking up on that, everyone has sort of two Twitter accounts. You have sort of your official account as the um, re- representative of Delaware South, um, and then you also have a sort of campaigning account. Uh, and I know it's not a great split, but there's something that we don't really have here, and maybe the Prime Minister sort of has it, but even some of his tweets recently have been on the aggressive side. Um, yeah, I mean, we forget what it was like when Donald Trump had his Twitter account. Like, mm. and that wasn't separate. You know, there was, yes, there was a real Donald Trump, but he was also posting r- ridiculous mm. things from, from the POTUS account as well. And, and this is, the, I, guess, I think this is kind of my point, is that like, well, they're both public money, right? We, we, these MPs mm. are paid for with public money. Gary Lineker is paid for by public money. There seems to be a standard that because, and I know I understand it's to do with impartiality and et cetera, but they are both paid for by the public purse. And we need to kind of figure out what we're going to do here. I mean, look, X slash Twitter is going to be dead by the end of next year anyway. So I don't know anybody cares about this because that's probably going to be the easiest way to deal with this. Whether or not he's doing this on Instagram as well, I don't know. But Well, whilst we take a break, uh, we'll review the social media guidelines for all participants on the media podcast. uh, And we'll see you both in a sec. Now, a little podcast admin for you. We're going to be taking a break now until the new year when we return for our annual predictions special. Uh, lots of great insight coming you uh, with that. And of course, we'll review last year's predictions to see how accurate all of our guests turned out to be. Uh, in the meantime, we have a bumper library of interviews on our Patreon to get you through the holidays, each one packed full of insight from program makers, industry execs, and more besides. Uh, and of course, you support the making of this independent podcast. So if you value what we do here every week, please take a moment uh, to join the Patreon. Uh, We have tiers depending on what you do from industry leaders to those at the start of their career. Maybe send us a Christmas present. Uh, Just go to patreon.com slash mediapod. That's patreon.com slash mediapod. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And Fraz and Brett are back with me for some more news in brief. Uh, the Mail Online may soon have a paywall, according to owner Lord Rothmere. Um, Brett, do we know how it's going to work? 
I think they're looking at a freemium model where you'll get some stories for free and then uh, you'll have to pay after that. And uh, they've not made a secret. They've been looking at the success of um, publications elsewhere. I think Lord Rothermere quoted the success of The Telegraph. And you can see how it fits into their wider ambitions. If you look at what The Times is doing, where The Times has you know a digital paywall and then they have, um, they have uh, The Times Radio as part of that to drive subscribers to it. And of course now launch, launching, um, they've just started putting some of their podcasts uh, behind the paywall as extra value for subscribers. And you can see how the mail will marry that to all the other things that they could potentially do around video. They've just started up a podcast division, which Jamie East is heading up, who I think you had on the other week. So you can see how they will start to tie up the various things that they're doing into something which is subscriber-based. And there's a need to do that because of the drop-off in, in advertising. And, you know, and the male, like a lot of other people, are looking to make up that shortfall. Well, they're obviously a massive publisher. They do hugely well all over the world. Um, do you think they have that connection with the audience here, those people who are kind of surfing the sidebar of shame, maybe who aren't like Daily Mail consumers, they're just kind of hopping on clicks and, and, and social media links. Do you think they're convertible to be I, subscribers? I think the challenge they've got is that if you're subscribing to something, it's got to be something that you feel you can't live without or you're passionate about or you need as part of your of your daily uh, content digest. And for a lot of people reading the mail, it's just fun stuff to click through and, and to look at. Uh, and whether people will be prepared to pay for that remains, remains to be seen because the, the uh, most success we've seen has been around much more serious content and journalism. Faraz, is Boris Johnson uh, enough of a draw to convert people in to be uh, male subscribers? I, I'm just a little bit confused about this because they've got male plus. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So that's not that's that's not the same thing. So they're obviously launching another product on top of male plus. I think male plus they is very much about special things, and I think they've gone. There's, that hasn't had the enough of a interest they need to push it across there there is there is a tendency for some media organizations to do this where they create lots of different pockets of paid for things and i think that becomes very confusing to the end user as a result because they're a bit like am i a male plus subscriber am i and and actually becomes incredibly frustrating when you do subscribe to something that's freemium like this and then you hit a new paywall under the same brand um so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of like clean that up because i think it could be quite complicated Mm. For um for 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 male readers. Well, just on um, that, it's interesting. Like New York, even the New York Times. I, I subscribe to New York Times when I try and get like a good offer from them. Um, but they're really pushing the upgrade for getting puzzles and recipes and and, yeah. and, and and everything else. And I sort of feel like the only ads I get from New York Times are for them begging for more money from me. Yeah. But that, that to me makes a bit more sense because that's tiered, right? So you've got like the New York Times, get, see the headlines, but you've got to pay for the, there's a paywall there. Pay for the paywall, you can see the news. If you want to pay for premium products like puzzles and cooking, you pay for another tier and that's kind of like, that's like the all singing, all dancing ultra package mm. or whatever it is you want to call it. That makes sense because that's tiered. I don't, that, that's not what I'm understanding from this. And it'll be interesting to see how they do end up launching this. I think that this is about bundling. So I think that the reason that they're doing this is that they're trying to create the mail to be more of a premium product so that it becomes attractive when you have news aggregators, Apple News Plus and um uh, and and the like that that then start looking to bundle paid for news and uh and, and they're trying to differentiate what the paper is compared to kind of what is premium content that they then can add to a mobile phone subscription or a sky subscription or whatever and it becomes a, like a, a wholesale a, option exact exactly um which i think is is why they kind of are creating this i'll be interested to know how many direct subscribers they'll get yeah from this. Brett, are they just too late with it 
I'm not sure it's too late, but I think one of the things that the Mail needs to think about, like all the other publishers, is the future of news and social media. Because as we've just talked about, you know, the continuing decline of X, there's ongoing issues around Facebook and their placing news. We've tried to, we've seen recently uh, Canada um, sort of trying to trying to break with various, you know, platforms in terms of in terms of news supply and getting keeping stuff within uh, newspapers. So I think. Um, somewhere like the mail which is very clickbait has got to think about are some of those channels uh, online channels that bring traffic to them going to decline further over the next year 18 months and decrease their traffic so everybody's got to look, look start looking for alternative sources of revenue it's a good point isn't it for us you trying to drive direct consumption of your of your content sort of primary now that the social platforms already are dispersing everyone's going in different places and even the click-through rates have always been pretty dreadful mm. from them as well yeah i mean i, I think that they're, they're, they're great you know if we were to when we reevaluate what happened in the last you know social media age the, the thing that a lot of people who make content have realized is that it was a scam because you gave mm. so much of your content away for free to youtube and twitter and they made lots of money and built their platforms off the back of people basically giving them content without even having to ask for it and uh, some of the best ideas some of the best journalists some of them made a really you know made a really great living out of it but a lot of the time it was it was journalists kind of trialing ideas out and headline stories etc and if one went viral then they'd write a full story but it'd be interesting to know how many people actually read the full story because they've already seen the tweet so that that's kind of a there's a there's a bit of a um a reckoning around that and and i guess a bit of course correction i i think my view on this is that the reason this is coming out now is because next year is going to be about nothing but elections. And, you know, Boris's view on that, and I imagine the Dean's view on that, and whoever else get, you know, leaves the Tory party, or, or any other party for that matter, before, um, before the election is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, I subscribed to New York Times during the presidential election of Hillary and, and uh, Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump, and that's when I took my subscription out. I've kept it ever since then. And I think that a lot of these places are seeing the American election and the UK election being a time when people are going to want to heavily consume news to see the circus that's going to come into town and, and get some reporting around it. Uh, we're talking about money there and magazine publisher Future has not had the best year according to its annual report. Profits before tax were down 19% year on year. Uh, but the group's bucking the trend in press, announcing a £25 million investment programme that will see it hire 150 new editorial staff according to the Press Gazette. Um, Brett, do we know what the money's being used for? Well, they're trying to move further into the US uh, and they're trying to um, focus more on reviews. And that's something that, that leans very well into, into search and to SEO when you're looking for a review of a particular product. So um, that's where they think there's money to be made. And this is yet another example of a, a company who are looking to, 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 gain, to gain money from different avenues when advertising has, has dropped off. Um, and interesting that all the things that we've talked about today, whether it be Netflix, whether it be uh, the Mail or the Times or, or Future, is all about sort of you know trying to to reach new audience to to increase that that money. And there's only a certain limited amount of money, whether it be audience money that you're seeking, whether it be advertiser money. Uh, you know, everybody's chasing a what seems to be an ever decreasing smaller part. And without wishing to sound as bleak as Faraz did at the beginning of the <laughs> beginning beginning of the program, you know, there were a lot of people chasing the same digital. Dark as we used to call them when when digital started to first emerge uh, and we're seeing that come around again at the moment I mean for us there's sometimes I look at this and go uh, 
it's scary. Advertising's been had a tough year. It's sort of seeming to pick up a little bit. Uh, but at least there are opportunities for publishers and, and media owners to diversify and to look at different uh, revenue streams. That's not all bad news, is it? There, there, there are. And I think the review thing is really interesting because obviously Future have got a number of titles that are trusted by audiences. So when they say something is good, it's got this kind of like seal of approval attached to it one one thing i would be interested to see is is if they are going to start creating personalities based mm. around this and the reason i say that is uh, you know when you look at review sites there is one that is you know arguably the the, the gold standard which is Wirecutter mm. that got acquired by the new york times and uh, and and they were the first on this and and have done very very well out of it but actually if you look at the new trend of review sites so i'm talking about top jaw i'm talking about cult flav you know there are tiktok channels that are kind of being that are, that are quite premium tiktok channels that are doing reviews and 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 some of them are like legacy brands like good housekeeping and uh, america test kitchen you know these are all great review sites they are all based around personalities and so while you've got the brand that exists there you're seeing recognizable faces that come up again and again and actually the way that social in particular works and video works is that you're going to need those personalities to effectively represent the brand well is this is this kind of new content creators jumping on the opportunities kind of faster than legacy media operators no surprise there mm-hmm. i mean if you look at tiktok the amount of tiktok shopping they're mm-hmm. pushing particularly I guess at the moment for Christmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, seemingly every third video has a has a buy button on it. Well, I think TikTok shopping is slightly different because I think that, that is TikTok themselves but pushing that's, that's a con- different that's content providers being affiliates and being able to Correct. add products to their videos. but 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 endorsed by TikTok themselves. So they so so TikTok are trying to build a model where they they create user behaviour where you click through and buy something. If I, I, I see another is... ad for that Breville toaster you put in the microwave. I haven't uh, seen that. Well, seen that. Okay, see, to show your algorithm compared yeah. to my algorithm. Yeah. I'm not putting any toasters in a microwave. That sounds like a that's like a health hazard right there. I'm Appar- like, apparently, it works very well. This is going to be on my algorithm on the way home now. My, my phone's <laughs> picked it up, and it's a bit like, guess what? We're going to be showing you on the way home. Um, but I, what I have, what I have started to see are, like I said, lots of personality-led review. So it's a restaurants and a food. I'm just obviously very hungry at the moment, which is why I'm getting a lot of <laughs> cooking stuff. Um, but also video games and, uh, and music and hi-fi equipment and cars. You know, the CarWow site is, I forget the name of the guy, but the guy that runs the CarWow website has become bigger than the brand itself. That whole kind of thing about personality and, and tone of voice is where these magazines need to get that right. I, I think that for a long time, legacy magazine journalism didn't invest heavily enough in their reporters and their tone of voice and who they are. So my un- my thought is, is that they're going to hire some people that um, can represent the brand in, in the best way and that's what's going to get them. I was going to say, it'd be interesting who's, who's writing this stuff because, you know, magazines now have such small staffs. You know, a lot of magazines you read just have two or three staff writers and are just um, run by freelancers effectively who are supplying them with content. So, you know, if they're going to be upping their content, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where that's going to come from. Are they going to be, you know, creating better deals for freelancers who we constantly see on social media about not being paid on time? I'm not saying that's a fault of future. I just mean it, mean it in general uh, because magazines have been sort of run down and so understaffed such a, such a long period of time now. And all that stuff are pissing around doing podcasts, aren't they? It's a bit like, stop getting out of the mics and writing something. You say that as a joke, but, but you know, when Tina Brown came to speak at um, City University last year, she said the future of magazines is podcasting. You know, the future yeah. of journalism and content is, is in With audio. With personalities. And or, or, personalities, or, or, yeah. 
Or back to relationships with audiences. Correct. You know, great magazines have always had great relationships with their audience. Um, When you look at the the mags that are successful, though, it tends to be ones that are pretty deep. So, like, Private Eye is one of the most successful mags in the country. And that does something very different to everybody else and gives a a different viewpoint. And I think if you probably read that, you feel part of that club. We're not going to Double H Smiths as much as we used to and grazing over that content when we've got loads of content but, but Private Eye has a, an incredible tone of voice mm. you buy it because it's funny um, and it breaks stories as well which and, and I don't know if these magazines because of the staff that have been cut along the way they are just effectively churning out pack shots of products and, and press releases and, and putting their own spin on it and, and actually what is missing is, is that personality and that tone of voice so if we are going to get a bit of investment in that direction I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing at all uh, Right just time for the media quiz this week entitled Play your streams right. Yes, it's an old-fashioned game of higher or lower using the latest viewing data from Netflix. We've talked a little bit about it already. You tell me if the shows I name have higher or lower viewing hours than the previous show. So let's play Play Your Streams Right. Uh, The first show is Luther, The Fallen Sun, which had 209 million hours viewed worldwide. That's your baseline. Question number one. Brett. The show is Emily in Paris. Is it higher or lower? Blimey, lower. That's right. It's lower. 161 million hours. Uh, Faraz, Black Mirror season six. Higher or lower than it's, Emily in Paris? It's got to be higher. Surely. You'd think, but it's lower. 139 million. It's the 54th biggest series in the world. Uh, they're higher in the UK. Uh, Brett, Love is Blind season four. Higher or lower? Higher or lower than Dan? Uh, Black Mirror season six. Higher. It is higher, 229 million, the 17th in the world. Uh, right, back to you, Fraz. Uh, Wednesday, season one, higher or lower than Love is Blind? That is a good question. I'm going to say lower. It's higher, 507 million hours. Uh, well done to the TV expert. Uh, you sadly did not win. Brett, congratulations. Uh, as your prize, you'll be devising the media podcast, The Magazine, uh, out later next year. <laughs> uh, my thanks to Brett Spencer and Faraz Osman. Uh, Faraz, where can uh, listeners keep up with uh, what you're not doing? Not on Twitter anymore. I haven't tweeted in ages. So I don't know Are you off? On. I'm not off. I just don't, I just don't, can't be arsed anymore. Mm. Um, uh, but on the socials, uh, I am... Fosman, as I, my ongoing joke, somebody nicked Faraz Osman on on both threads and Instagram. It makes me very cross. Please don't follow him. Uh, follow me, which is F Osman on that. And uh, the company is gold underscore Waller on everything. Uh, and Brett, how about you? I'm Brett Asar on X and all other platforms. Please also follow uh, City Journalism um, on on various platforms as well. I have to mention that the course is open for applications for next year. Uh, and you can also find stuff that I'm working on at Spiritland Productions. Uh, excellent. Thank you both. Have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, and that's it from us today at the London Podcast Studios. Remember, you can get 25% off your first booking at this lovely place when you use the code MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com. That's MEDIAPOD at the London Podcast Studios.com for 25% off. Uh, and of course, if you're new to the show, uh, why not hit follow to get us in your ears all year round? And we are also on YouTube if you want to see my beautiful face as well. Um, podfollow.com slash the media podcast uh, will take you to us in the apps. Uh, just search for the media podcast on YouTube to find us there. Uh, my name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Ollie Pitt and Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. Uh, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year when we'll see you. Oh. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.